0: Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the embassy attacks, Baghdad versus Benghazi. We have in studio congressional candidate Beth Van Dyne. Can't wait to have you meet her. The launch of Evangelicals for Trump tomorrow in Florida. And Buttigieg needs to learn America again. And finally, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned.
1: Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry.
0: Hello and welcome again to America Can We Talk, to to today's First Five. Over the weekend, over this holiday weekend of New Year's, we had an amazing story evolving uh, in Iraq. And I want to tell you very briefly, I named this segment this idea of Benghazi versus Baghdad. I want to give you the shortest little background of what the Iranians have been doing that led to where we got over the weekend. The longer version I urge you to read on my website, americacanmetalk.org, on the homepage under show, the drop-down list of links, read the summary that comes from the Center for Security Policy called Turning the Corner Against Iran's Terror Militias. The short story is that really for many years and many times, there have been attacks by the Iranian extremists, uh, Islamic terrorists who are based in Iran and their proxies all over the Middle East, attacks on American embassies, American facilities, and very weak responses from America. In fact, really, in some cases, no responses at all. The 1983 Beirut embassy and the Marine Corps barracks bombing, uh, allying openly with Osama bin Laden in Khartoum in 1990, the Khobar Towers attack in 1996, the East Africa embassy bombings in 1998, the USS Cole, the year 2000. All of those were backed by the Iranian mullahs, by Islamic extremists from Iran, who continue their effort to take over the Middle East on behalf of Shia Islam. Most of those met, in the words of Claire Lopez, who wrote this piece, nary a peep of retaliatory strikes. And then along comes Donald Trump. What her point was is that the extremists in Iran have been motivated to believe that America will not respond, at least won't respond very harshly, as they continue their quest to become really the hegemony they want to take over the Middle East with their version of Islam. And so Iran, the number one terror exporting country in the world, has continued exporting terror all over the Middle East. And what happened in this leading up, what happened over our uh, New Year's holiday was President Trump taking power in 2016. And number one, really undermined the Iranians by, he pulled us out of the Iranian deal. So we've actually reached a point recently that, Iran has been more harmed by the sanctions that President Trump has put in place than they were helped by the money that President Obama sent them. So they've actually been harmed by President Trump's willingness to stand up more against the Iranian extremists. but. What happened, there are uprisings in Iran, also Iraq and Lebanon, the people wanting to overthrow Islamic extremists. And besides, they have friendly little messages from America, not too much effort to back the people. We have Pompeo, Mike Pompeo, tweeting, saying we sure want to help these folks. But not the real aggressive response in, in terms of helping the people trying to stand up. Throughout 2019, Iranian ta- attacks continue. The aggressive Iranian Islamic militias attacking commercial shipping, Saudi oil facilities, even a U.S. drone. Pretty much the response of America was well, you know, more sanctions, discussion, discussions, but no, uh, no toughness. So, Tehran, the mullahs running Iran, truly think that they are on a roll and that America and other powers won't stop them. So we had what prompted this most recent episode was in mid-December 2019, rockets falling on military bases in Iraq. This is mid-December 2019. And then finally, there was an attack on the, um, the facility in Kirkuk, Iraq, a military base where a US military personnel were injured an American citizen contractor was killed. And President Trump said, enough enough the group uh, behind all this is this, this group that is an extremist uh, islamic Iranian funded Iranian motivated group uh, the is, is described as Iran's Shiite terror proxy Kataib Hezbollah was identified as responsible for bombing that military base so the u.s. finally responded the u.s. responded by bombing five different outposts run by this militia that had attacked and injured American soldiers and killed an American citizen contractor. Understanding that background, so the U.S. is responding to a series of attacks, one finally leading to a fatality. We got around to what happened at the U.S. Embassy in Iraq, in Baghdad, Iraq, which was Iranian militia people attacking the U.S. embassy in Iraq, starting fires, starting an attack, and moving in toward to actually take over the embassy. Unlike the response of past presidents, unlike what happened with Benghazi, where we sat on our hands and didn't help, unlike that, that kind of, Conduct which basically we were afraid to defend ourselves. President Trump said enough sent in the Marines God bless the US military 100 Marines sent in to defend the compound more military sent in and surrounding countries basically saying you're not doing this and lo and behold the Iranian militias back down. I'm going to close out the first five by saying this we talked talking the show many many times about the idea that within the religion of Islam within the core of what Islam teaches in the Quran in the various hadith that describe what the founder of Islam Muhammad said to do the dictate the order that to be a devout Muslim you must work to spread Islam by force or manipulation you must do that to be a devout to be a a devout Muslim the enemy is not just the particular Iranian mullahs is not particular militia groups, although they are enemies, the larger enemy is the belligerence of many adherents of Islam. The ideas of Islam that inspire millions and millions today to think their duty is to spread Islam in any way possible, especially by force, and in particular in this world today, Iran is the home, it is the center in the Middle East of the mission of many Islamic extremists, the mullahs in particular, spreading Shia Islam, those people believe it is their job to spread islam by force they do not respond to polite messages by text they do not respond to state department firm denouncements they don't respond to speeches they don't respond to anything that even the diplomats would say is the harshest sanctions we could possibly come up with they respond to brute force this is there's a lesson of this event over the weekend we'll probably talk about more on monday but the basic end of this story was that this attack on the u.s embassy in baghdad encouraged by the Iranian mullahs and really resulting in a a, a certainly harm to our embassy was a message from President Trump as he said it um, that this is you know this isn't a warning this is a threat he's telling them folks no more we're not going to put up with this and for those people who worry that President Trump is a little bit too aggressive and maybe he talks tough and maybe he should talk nicer there is no way to rationalize, to reason, to to negotiate with people who are motivated by the foundational idea in Islam that you must force Islam on the world. The only thing they understand is brute force. Thank God for President Trump who sent that message. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. Well, as we start the show, I mentioned we have a guest in studio, Beth Van Dyne. She is a candidate for US Congress. I wanna have her, uh, she's actually, I will tell you, she's right here, not in my district where I live, but close by where we are in North Texas in the Dallas area. Uh, She's been on this show before, I can't remember why, um, probably you're a mayor of Irving, but in any case, we're going to talk about uh, she's running for U.S. Congress as Congressional and District 24. Um, it is a very exciting race. We have, um, you know, they, I think the Democrats think they might take this seat uh, in Texas. We're saying not so fast. So I want to introduce you to Beth Van Dyne, have her talk about why she's running for Congress. And I want to be sure and tell you she is among the four women, four GOP women running for U.S. Congress that are calling themselves a conservative squad. This is to challenge the uh, AOC-led left-wing socialist squad that seems to have taken over the Democrat Party in Washington. So this is a conservative squad. She's also, the most amazing thing, one of 26 women GOP candidates in Texas running for Congress. So I love it, love this. beth van dyne welcome good morning it's good afternoon now (laughs) it's
1: great to see you again and and it really is it's good to see you i hope you had a great holiday we did we did how about you well you know it's amazing because we we finished our holiday and now we're immediately right back into campaign season people thought you know at the end of last year that oh well it's not till next year it's not till next year guess what next year's now yeah and for primary votes you know that starts in like less than six weeks, you know, we have a few weeks before primary voting starts, so. It is amazing. You know, to your point on, on, you had said that Texas is really gonna be a focus of Democrats coming in, and they have they think they have an idea of, of, of how to crack that nut and how to be able to oh, take yeah. over the state. And I'll tell you, you think about the craziness that you see right now going on on the presidential um, debates, you know, on the Democrat side. Yep. I am running because you know I was mayor for six years. Mayor of Irving, Texas, Irving, Texas for six years. I was on the city council in Irving, for te- uh, Texas for six years, and I've been with the Trump administration under Secretary Carson at HUD for the last two and a half years. I have seen um, how to get things done. Um, I have worked with local, county, and state officials to get things done, Um, and I really believe that that should be our focus. You look at the squad that we see right now, the crazy socialist squad that's up there, and quite frankly, all they seem to do is push a socialist agenda, an anti-American agenda. They're not concerned with actually getting things done like building roads. They're not concerned with uh, overhauling healthcare efforts. They're not concerned at all with border security. It's nothing about policy and it's everything about the press conference. You have people who are running right now who are strong conservatives, who are strong Americans, who want to see what's best for North Texas families and for families, quite honestly, across the country. America is an amazing country. It's worth fighting for.
0: That that is like the theme of my show, is America's (laughs) a wonderful country is worth fighting for. So backing up a little bit for our listeners, they know a little more about you. So you're a mayor of Irving. Yes. Just what was it, you you just were an extraordinary mayor. And I Mm -hmm. know you were uh, recognized nationally for your leadership as a mayor in Irving, but what are your top, Things that you took on, you're most proud of as mayor of Irving.
1: Well, I mean, quite honestly, we had a fairly corrupt system when I came in. We mm. had a lot of under table, behind the you know doors uh, uh, projects that were getting worked on. That. I am a full um, disclosure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think negotiations have to take place outside, and when you have behind the scenes negotiations that really harm um, citizens, really take advantage of taxpayer dollars, and you don't hold uh, elected officials accountable, I think it's a disgrace. You know, when I was mayor, we passed an ethics policy. Part of that ethics policy was term limits. You know, we, we 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 I'm a strong believer in term limits. We also passed that if you are getting if you are voting on on vendors coming to the city, those vendors can't pay to be part of your campaign. They can't give you campaign contributions. Um, other things that we would did in the city is we really focused on economic development, bringing in yes. bringing companies in, um, um, getting a lot of buildings and, and and increases to our our commercial tax base. That was the way to do it, was to focus and have a business friendly community um, and, and really work with the private sector to come in and help pay for the things, quite honestly, that uh, you, know, you needed to be able to do to make a, a city.
0: Yeah, safe and and, I, and and attractive. Beth, I want to jump in yeah. about that because that's really a parallel to what President Trump is yeah. doing in the national yeah. economy. The idea of, is your way to make sure that families have food on the table and a roof over their heads and clothes for the kids and can they buy the kids a soccer uniform for next year? Yeah. The question of the left is, or the mission of the left seems to be find some government program to fund, and the conservative, or just free market answer, the, the American answer is bring in businesses that give people jobs, that instill a sense in people, I can be self-reliant, yes. I can take care of my family. City level, same as a Trump level. Do you agree with that analogy? Absolutely, I mean, we, ha- we have seen it work on yeah. at a government
1: level, and we can do it again. I mean. They, You think about the things that Trump has been able to accomplish, not only, you know, and to me one of the the main things is is all of his um, um, conservative federal court appointments. That is so important. But also things like trade agreements. Taking it on on um, looking at our tax reforms. These are things that are putting dollars back into the pockets of the middle class, of basically every class, but also focusing on jobs, realizing that it's not public sector dollars, it's not it's not government and citizen taxpayer dollars that's gonna solve everything. It's getting the private sector dollars to be able to work to advance you know
0: families and communities. All across the country, and that's why, for example, your contrast because you are part of the conservative squad yeah. and the contrast with the uh, it's leftist the meat, squad. Meat and
1: potato <laughs> issues that people care about <laughs> that they want their elected officials focused on. It's well, they, not all the you know the the impeachment issues that we hear up there. It is the meat and potato issues. Can we go up there and do what we say we're going to do? Which is what we're hearing from our from our constituents. I mean, when I go out, I've talked to thousands of people in the last few months, thousands of them across the district, and what I'm hearing is healthcare costs are skyrocketed we needed to be able to take care of our families. Okay, what are we going to be doing about jobs? We are so excited what's going on in the economy right now. How do we continue that flow? Yeah. What are we doing about transportation? I don't want to get stuck in an hour and a half worth of of traffic every morning. Are we focused on those kind of bills? And what we see at the D.C. level right now by the radical socialists that are up there, um, specifically you know, some of the members that you just mentioned, are you know focused on impeachment issues and things that that people see as a as a push as a um, um, Not really taking responsibility at all of what their jobs are. It's an opportunity to be in front of a camera. It's stumping for yourself. It's
0: anti-American. It is absolutely anti-American. Yes, I use that language all the time. It is anti-American. One particular example of that is in the the left-wing squad, the radical leftist squad. AOC drove Amazon. Her point was to not allow them to bring jobs to uh, to New York. Do you recall? I mean, this is a if you have constituents who need jobs, who are thinking, man, huge company, I could probably get a job, whether it's the lowest level one, or executive ones, or mid-level ones, all your constituents, you're saying, I don't care if you can get a paycheck. Right. I grandstanded and I won, you know, points and the Twitterverse. Well, look at Vice President Biden. You know, last week on stage, a
1: few weeks ago on stage, when he talked about being able to literally blow up thousands of jobs in the oil and gas industry. Yep. This is Texas. Yeah. And those thousands of jobs that he's talking about are right in the middle of our state. A lot of them in the middle of our of our district. Like, and they act as if that's not going to affect anybody. Right. Right, and that needs to be that needs to be focused. And, and quite honestly, you know, your 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 take on what they're doing—Democrats coming in and thinking that they're going to be able to take over Texas—it is so important because Bloomberg. I don't know if you knew this or not—is going to be opening up a number of offices across the state, and and he is getting that not just to um, be able to push a, a a campaign for presidency, but at last year's um, uh, Pete Sessions race last year. Yeah. He put in over a million dollars in the last few weeks of his campaign on negative ads, targeted against Pete at sessions. sessions. The focus is not, is not just on his presidency, but it really is to make uh, Texas blue. And think about what that's gonna happen at the state level. You're going to have redistricting, and who's going to be doing that? If they can take over eight seats um, right. at the State House, right. that absolutely affects redistricting moving forward the entire future of Texas. We need to wake up. We need to not just think that we're going to be able to, to um, intimidate that and Democrats. We shouldn't even focus on that. We have to outwork them. We have the ability. We have the message. We have the candidates. But our responsibility is to get them out, get them to the pall- ballots, and every single one of your listeners if they are interested at all in in freedoms, in independence, on the accountability of their elected officials needs to work to be able to get people
0: out. This is a really crucial year. We're gonna have redistricting, absolutely crucial year. Excuse me. Yeah. 2020 is a heart and soul of America election. It's a big big picture thought of what America is. Is it an America that is increasingly controlled by the government, the economy controlled by the government? The, I mean, the Green New Deal is a good example of just complete control of the American economy, of, uh, of, yeah. of every aspect you can imagine, the economy, or are we still America? And this freedom-based, right. entrepreneurial, it is, a, it is a vision of America's future battle. It is a radical socialist squad that the left has come up with they at first seem like they're so extreme. I mean, I actually think if you told us five years ago, there'd be a squad of four members of Congress who are pretty much driving the agenda, and they're pretty much, I mean, two of them are members of the Democrat Socialists, the two others are are just with them in spirit, and that this would be a serious, uh, they'd be able to seriously shape policy, shape argument, shape messaging of the left, It should be, we need to realize that it is not just, we think they're extremists and crazy. They're moving, they are trying to move America in that direction. It is time for the the boldness and the rightness of the American ideas on the right to be spoken, to be yelled from the rooftops, to be spoken everywhere. And
1: I think what you're seeing is a whole group of candidates who are willing to do that. I mean, we're, we're willing to stick our neck out there and say what people are thinking, but a lot of them are too intimidated to actually be able to say. But you know, as the election in 2016 showed, there are a lot of people who actually believe in the American ideal of being able to work on their bootstraps and, and pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, and look at hard work as equating to success. Um, and I think if you look at, at our, our, our district, if you look at families across North Texas, across Texas, across the country, they believe in hard work. And that is what should equate to success and not having government expansive projects that continue to take money out of taxpayer dollar pockets and put it into you know these entitlement programs that really don't motivate people to actually you know create success, um, but they continue to g- raise the, the 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 size of
0: government and the number of people that we've got working there. Yeah,
1: and that was really going to be damaging long term.
0: Speaking of the uh, effort of the left yeah. to say they're going to take Texas, I saw there was a, yeah. an editorial over the weekend, Washington Post, and it was a woman um, who. I, and I'm gonna bother even saying her name, but in any case, she was making the argument that Texas is more moderate on immigration than President Trump is, and so President Trump's immigration policies are not popular here. I'm gonna contrast what AOC and the American left, the leftists mm-hmm. say, which is they don't, they won't support the wall, they don't really want a secure border, they really don't support- They want it. open borders. They, they want, want open borders. They want
1: to be borders. able to provide housing, healthcare, you know, um, school too to millions of of people coming across the country that we don't even know who they are. I mean, coming into the country that we don't know who they are. You know, I will tell you, um, there's low hanging fruit of solutions. Um, In the city of Irving, one of the things that we had done is we actually had our local law enforcement work with federal law enforcement on looking at um, criminal illegal aliens. So if you committed a crime in Irving, And you could not prove that you were in the country legally. We contacted ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We detained the the individual. ICE came, did an interview, and if they were found to have committed a crime and they were not in the city legally, they were deported. So you were not a sanctuary city. We were the opposite of a sanctuary city. We actually enforced our laws. But the result of that was you saw, you know, you saw all of these activists from outside of our city come in and call us every name in the book. I was a racist. I was a big, I mean, everything. But what they didn't see was the actual results. And the results of that were, yes, while we deported a number of criminal illegal aliens, the crime rate of our city plummeted to the lowest in our city's history. And that lasted for nine years. We became the fifth safest city in the country. And okay, as a result, that is our a si- great streets statistic. were safer, our community was safer, we had people who continued to move in, we had businesses that continued to expand. So. While the left's argument is to, to you know, throw labels, nasty negative labels at, uh, at elected officials, if you know that there is a solution out there, don't be afraid of it. You have to have a backbone. You have to be willing to fight for what you know is right. But they will try to shut you down left and right. And that's what I think you see from the crazy squad. But, you know, as 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 conservatives as elected officials you have to be willing to have a voice and to fight for what you know is right we did that the city of irving and we saw the immediate
0: results from that okay i did not realize that you had been so active in the the essential basic idea of cooperating with the federal government which honestly it shouldn't be shocking it is what our system is supposed to be we have the federal government who has jurisdiction over all uh, immigration and citizenship and yet we have these Islands all over texas frankly in america that say we're not going to comply with that So I didn't know you had that stat and I love that stat Okay, so the other women there are three other women and you running Mm -hmm. as a conservative squad So what are the ways you certainly differ with the uh, socialist squad aoc on on border security? Um, what are the ways, what, what, are, what are they up to that you're opposed to?
1: Well, I think what you see is a completely um, socialist agenda where things like health care aren't even a consideration. We're not talking about it. Their, their idea for healthcare, their solution for that is have a government-run policy. Right. Well, you know, you don't have to go too far to f- realize that that is a failure. I yep. have never seen um, areas that are already a private sector where the government can compete. And, and I think on healthcare, you know, when I when I decided to run for Congress, I had to quit my job. I had to quit my job to run because I, w- I was working at HUD, um, and I had to quit my job, which meant that I lost my healthcare coverage. So I'm now paying twelve hundred dollars a month with six thousand dollar <laughs> you know deductibles. It's the it's the biggest bill I have for a month that I, for a product I never use. Right. Um, and most people I don't know how they can 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 sustain that you know that that cost, but on healthcare alone. What are some of the solutions? Well, maybe expanding you know, our ability to be able to use our health um, um, savings accounts. Right. Maybe looking at uh, being able to buy across states, you know, across state lines for products. Increasing the number of products, competitive products that are out there by the private sector that are offered. Yep. Right now, I'm paying for prostate cancer care. Thank goodness, yeah. <laughs> I probably will never need a prostate. You know, I, I'm paying for OBGYN care. I don't plan on having any more kids, but can I buy what I need instead of having to have everything forced on me those are meat and potato issues that i think normal people want to listen to what you're seeing up there um, right now by really the radical wing of the democrat party socialist party that seems to be running things is open borders no accountability government's going to come and take you know whatever you know problems that we have government can solve and by the way we're going to we're going to tax everybody to make sure that's done businesses are bad jobs are bad um, in, in really, America is bad. It's this guilt mentality that if you live in this country and you want to fight for this country, that you are somehow a label. And, and I think what we're trying to, to um, respond is, we have normal people in the Republican Party in our country that are willing to fight for our values. And those values are regular issues that normal people want to talk about. And that is the small, tiny segment of what a government should be doing. Let's focus on that. Um, I think what you also see is people who are willing to put their necks out on the line and say, we're going to have a backbone, we're going to fight against it, and we're not going to be intimidated by name-calling. Because we realize at the end of the day, people are interested in policies, they're interested in negotiations occurring, and they're interested in safe communities, access to
0: health care, access to jobs, a strong economy, and strong border security. I love all that, you know, Beth. Yeah. Before we went on air today, we were talking about the women's march, yes. which is actually going to be began uh, the year that President Trump was sworn in. They had a women's march, and they have it every year. They're having it again this year. It's on Saturday, January 18th, in Washington. The next day, is Sunday, across the country, uh, in cities and towns, big and small. I looked at Women's March website again this morning to remind myself, and I tell you that part of the reason the whole Women's March thing bothers me is because the message of calling themselves that is saying, whatever we stand for, is the right thing for women to stand for. They're, co- they're trying to co-op women or signal, we own the women's vote. We, the, the radical leftists, own the women's vote. We decide what women stand for and women sign up. And I just, I think you and your conservative squad and the 26 GOP ma- candidates in Texas, women candidates in Texas are all saying, you know, not so fast. The Women's March doesn't speak for me. So what's your sense of the Women's well, March? Well, I'll tell you, when I was in,
1: um, I was in D.C. with my daughter um, when, when um, President, President Trump uh, got uh, uh, his inauguration, yeah. and the next day <laughs> and the next day was the Women's March, yeah. and I wrote about it. And the, you know, I actually, on my, on my way to the airport, we went downstairs, and there was a woman wearing a sign that said, "I am afraid," and that was the big message that they wanted to promote for the Women's March. And I remember having this long conversation with my daughter on the way to the to the airport about, you know, this is not what the Women's Movement was ever meant to portray. Women right. are strong, we are fierce. We are independent and We're we capable. are a force of nature. <laughs> yep. It is not we are afraid. It is we are fighters and we have the ability, we have the intelligence um, to be in the commitment and the dedication to be able to do these things and be able to compete on a on a on a, on a basic level at any level you know, with with anybody. I was the first woman who was elected mayor of the city of Irving, I'm the only woman who's ever been elected mayor of the city of Irving. I not once ever talked about my gender as a reason why I should be elected. I said, vote for me because I'm dedicated, I have a vision that you can get behind, I have the best interest um, um, imaginable for our city, and it's something that you believe in and you're willing to fight for it. I got elected even though I was outspent, you know, 6 6 to 1 I remember against that. an yeah. incumbent, but I got elected based on the message and based on my my ability to be prepared and to fight for what I think is right for my constituents. Women are willing to do that, but everybody's willing to do that when we sit here and we divide up our population. It is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We are Americans at the end of the day. We should all be fighting for values. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, if you're a man, if you're black, if you're white, if you are if you have, have come here from a different country, if you're a different religion. We all have things that make us Americans. And those are the things that we should concentrate on and stop trying to divide up the country. Just because I have a set of ovaries doesn't mean I'm gonna agree with a woman. I also have a brain. <laughs> and, I, and part of my brain is looking at what's in the best interest for my kids, for my family, for my community, for my country. And those are things like jobs. You know, job creation, um, access to health care, you know, border security, basic fundamental things that the government should co- concentrate on. Women are smart enough to realize
0: are in their best interest and their family's best, best interest. Beth Van Dyne, that's very well said. You tell our listeners how they can find your website, read more about you? Yes, our uh, website is
1: bethfortexas.com. Um, we're having meet and greets across the, uh, across the district. We're having fundraisers. Um, people are welcome to contact me. Email me at beth at bethfortexas.com. Love to hear comments and, uh, and, and be able to get back in touch with anybody who really has an interest in saving our country and fighting for Texas. Thank you. Beth
0: Van Dyne, so great to talk to, to Thank you. you. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Folks, I urge you to go to Beth for Texas. I did that this morning. Actually, read about the kind of person that you just heard speaking on the show. Someone who is confident, who's competent, knows what she believes in, and understand that what you're really electing in 2020 is a direction of our country. It's much bigger than each congressional district or each race, it's a direction of our country. It is a belief in our country that really is on the ballot in 2020. I can't urge you strong enough to go read her website. Consider supporting her as I do. And um, and I am very grateful for every woman running on the GOP side. I think we need more women running, speaking the GOP message. And I will say again, I talk on the show a lot, and I'm gonna talk about it more in tw- this 2020, this idea of Blexit was a black and Latina exit from the from the Democrat party. We need a feminine exit. We need a f- an idea that women need to exit this vision that the left has for them that all women can really ever do is sign up to be leftist vote for the leftist agenda vote for big government because we're afraid or helpless or some other way need government to take care of our lives feminine is the message that we are strong we can stand up for ourselves we can think for ourselves and we can vote for a good and strong america that's where we have to head next where i want to turn to today you know i have to tell you folks it's every day getting ready for the show there are about 25 stories I'd like to get to, and I can get to you know, obviously a small number of them, but I wanna to get to and talk a little bit about um, what's gonna to happen tomorrow in Miami, Florida. President Trump is attending a launch of Evangelicals for Trump, and I wanna make just a few points about that. There was a an editorial in Christianity Today, which I haven't read, I've read pieces of it, but an editorial in Christianity Today, a very popular magazine um, by the editor-in-chief who is actually resigning or retiring next week But he wrote an editorial, essentially arguing that President Trump should be removed from office based on this whole farce of the Ukrainian, the impeachment, and the whole argument what happened with the Ukraine. We've talked about that story many times in the show. I'm not going to go back and cover it again, but I do want to cover the idea that in Christianity Today, the editor thought that the argument that because President Trump had been accused of this. He was urging the president be removed from office by the Senate based on the articles of impeachment the House issued when if you paid any attention to them at all, you realize there's absolutely nothing to this impeachment. It is just as actually was admitted again recently by Texas Congressman Al Green, who said in some interview recently, yeah, you know what, we're actually going to we got we had this impeachment planned before he was sworn in. He didn't say these particular issues, but we were going to impeach him, we're going to take him out. So I think this timing of the Trump for Evangelical, Evangelicals for Trump in Florida, may be tied to the Christianity Today editorial, but Christianity Today was roundly denounced, got many, many strong leaders in the evangelical movement speaking up and saying, what in the world is this guy thinking that we have this president who's been strong on pro-life, strong on protecting freedom of religion, strong on protecting America, strong on restoring our military, strong on restoring the the America First agenda. He's the one that you want Christians to attack. So Christianity Today was was really roundly criticized as they should have been for running the editorial. But I wanna make just three points about this uh, Evangelicals for Trump mission. Number one, when President Trump was first running in 2016. There are many people who said, you know, he'll never get the Christian vote. He'll never get the evangelical vote because he has, well, he's a New York City, billionaire, playboy lifestyle. Everyone knew both his life story, he's written about his life story, um, and actually knew thought his demeanor was not presidential, was just too brusque and confident and the way that President Trump is. So initially, many evangelical Christians thought they could not support him. And some leaders in the evangelical movement came out and said, you know, we we can't support this guy. Look at the life he's led. He's done this. He's done that. Well, over time in 2016, as Americans watched the political stage, they watched how strong the radical left was, the radical socialist left growing in power in this country. And they knew we needed a leader, a strong leader someone who didn't crumble at the first insult that came to them from the American left or from the media. So president Trump occurred to people, even the evangelical movement, like, maybe this is the guy we need right now. Maybe this is the guy we need right now because he is at least going to fight. He does not let the media or the left shut him down or silence him. So slowly some of the evangelical support moved from other candidates toward president Trump. Number two, and eventually, literally President Trump brought along much of the evangelical vote to his side. Number two, what President Trump has done since he has been president to support the mission of many evangelicals in this country, many evangelicals who want to want to see a president supporting life. So they don't—they like that a president is not trying to help Planned Parenthood get more taxpayer dollars. They like a president who's speaking up for religious freedom, who is denouncing the attack on religion in America from many entities on the American left. They want a president who speaks of the Judeo-Christian founding of this country. They want a president who denounces socialism, which is at its core utterly contrary to the idea of America as founded. They want a president who will speak up for America. So people have, on the evangelical side, have come along to see that this president really was, whether whatever his life story was before this, this is a president who will stand for the values that they care about and the issues they care about. And the third point about President Trump is I think you have many Americans more awake than they ever were before in recognizing how radically left today's Democrat Party has become. We don't really have many people you can describe as just liberals but on the American playing field. The radical socialist left in this country has overtaken the Democrat Party. You have one of the top contenders on the Democrat side for the presidential nomination and avowed And By the way, Bernie Sanders is, grow, is moving up again in polling. I'm telling you, folks, do not write him off. Do not think America wouldn't nominate him. In fact, there's a lot of talk in Washington about the leaders at the DNC becoming extremely concerned as it looks like Bernie Sanders could actually win the nomination. They, they recognize it's a very dangerous thing. I frankly hope he does. I want that discussion. I want that national political conversation between the radical left of bernie sanders and america and conservatism and president trump in any case the evangelicals have come around to realize that the radical left really has christianity in its crosshairs the the evangelical america just everyday mainstream christian america has realized that the radical left is utterly intolerant of Christianity, of its place in our society, of the right of freedom of religion, and they recognize we need a fighter on our side, and if we don't have President Trump, we're going to have one of those people in the American left who are pretty much surrendering to the radical socialist agenda. So I think it's timely, wonderful. I'm thrilled Trump is going to do it, um, uh, do this. Uh, and I think, right, it's going to be very successful. Uh, last story and quick story for today, I just want to hit on our friend Pete Buttigieg, who is running for president, as you well know. Mayor Pete gave a, uh, he spoke at a class, in a class, talking to young people about the founders of our country. And about the existence of slavery that was contemplated, written into our Constitution. And I wanna play, I have Matt, the extremely wonderful producer, gonna play a clip by Pete Buttigieg talking to students in, this was actually from 2014, but fortunately for us, it has emerged. This is uh, Pete Buttigieg talking to students about what he thinks about slavery in the U.S. Constitution similarly the amendment process. They were wise enough to realize that they didn't have all the answers and that some things would change. Uh, a good example of this is something like slavery or civil rights. Uh, for uh, It's a, an embarrassing
1: thing to admit but the people who wrote the Constitution did not understand that slavery was a bad thing and did
0: not respect civil rights uh, and yet they created a framework uh, so that as the generations came to understand that that was important they could write that into the Constitution too. Okay, you just heard a presidential contender on the Democrat side say that our founders didn't know that slavery was morally wrong. That's what he actually said. There's two choices, only two choices for that explain that. Number one, he is so ignorant that he didn't know any better and he actually thought that was true. He'd been so manipulated by political correctness and the way the left denigrates America and its founding, he actually thought that was true, in which case he's too ignorant to be president. Or, second choice, he knew that the founders were deeply troubled by slavery, that there were endless discussions about the the danger of slavery and the wrongness of it and the recognition, they could not get the Constitution done without integrating slavery into it at the time. And if he falls in that second category that he knew he was lying, then he also is ineligible to be president because he is deceptive and manipulative. But you have to understand saying things like that, Pete Buttigieg and other Democrats saying things like that, they play into the left wing playbook that says America as founded must be destroyed. America as founded must be denigrated, mocked, ridiculed, must be put down. So he's either too ignorant to be president or too dishonest to be president. But in the great state of Texas, we have Senator Ted Cruz, who managed to issue a series of six tweets responding to Buttigieg on this very point. Understand, and I may not read all 6 but I'll read a couple of them, but understand this. Our founders were deeply troubled by slavery they actually recognized it was inconsistent with the very idea they were founding the country on that all men were created equal. But to get America to be a country, to come together, to have a constitution, they had to contemplate slavery's existence. They had to write it in. And they, as Buttigieg did acknowledge, they had a process put in place at the time to amend the constitution. And obviously, as we all know, we had the Civil War fought you know, 100 years later to remove, sla- or the result of the Civil War was to remove slavery, to end slavery, to say you cannot be in our country. But Buttigieg is talking to young people who knows how many people he's talked to and planted that lie in their conscience, planted that thought about America that we had founders so ignorant, so uninformed, they didn't even know slavery was wrong, so morally weak, that they didn't know any better. But anyway, Ted Cruz let him have it. Got to tell you, a couple of things he he put out in tweets. He kept quoting what Buttigieg said, and then Ted Cruz has, slavery is an evil of colossal magnitude, and I'm utterly averse to the admission of slavery into the Missouri territories, it being among my first wishes to see some plan adopted by which slavery in this country may be abolished by law, John Adams, founding father, second president. Freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Benjamin Franklin, founding father, abolitionist. Number three, Ted Cruz again, and tweeting, Neither my tongue nor my pen nor purse shall be wanting to promote the abolition of what to me appears so inconsistent with humanity and Christianity. Again, Benjamin Franklin, founding father, abolitionist. I'm going to close out today's show by saying this. The elections in twenty twenty are about the identity of America. They are nothing less. What we were talking about today with our guest, Beth Van Dyne, we talked about many other stories in the show. What used to be the American playing field, the two political parties, the Republicans and Democrats, and maybe Democrats want slightly, slightly higher taxes and slightly larger uh, public welfare programs, entitlement programs, and maybe Republicans were a little more friendly to business. That, that world doesn't exist anymore. That is your grandparents' picture of America. What you have on the playing field today in America is either the radical socialist left as, as evidenced by, just one example, the Green New Deal, we've, we've, got, we've broken that down a hundred times in the show, we've expe- explained what's in there. It is a complete takeover of this country, it is a complete evisceration of the free market system, the complete evisceration of liberty in this country. That's what the Green New Deal is, and every single contender for the Democrat presidential candidacy, except one, has signed on to that, or at least admitted they support that. So you have the takeover of a country by leftism, or you have America. Those are the two choices. It doesn't matter if you like your candidate for Congress, whoever your senator is, if they're gonna vote with the American left, they're voting to to destroy America. It is that simple. And we'll talk on the show, you know, four days a week, every day, Monday through Thursday, about all the issues that are on play and all all the reasons to support certain issues or, or, you know, the, the facts behind some issues. But at the core, America was founded to be an extraordinary experiment in human liberty. That's what America is, an experiment in the idea that man, excuse me, that man can live in liberty, can be self-governing. That's what America is, that we are that experiment liberty right now. But the battle we have in 2020 is much bigger than every single race. Do enough Americans understand the unique importance of America to stand up and vote for it against this onslaught of the American left? And now, my friends, I'll tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. To start with, we have the embassy consulate attacks Baghdad and Benghazi, why it matters to you. Previous presidents, four of them, failed to respond forcefully to Islamist attacks on U.S. facilities, but not President Trump. Failure to respond is weakness it emboldens the attackers strength and force are understood by enemies strongly worded diplo speak that's like diplomats speak letters are not impactful iran has sought and still seeks islamic domination they must understand no iran regime change in 2020 would be a good thing for the world Congressional candidate Beth Van Dyne joined us in studio. 26 women in Texas are running for Congress on the GOP side, great for Texas and the US. Beth Van Dyne and three women candidates from other states formed a new quartet, a forceful and needed counter to the leftist squad far-left loonies do not speak for American women. American women love freedom. They are not inclined to socialism. 2020 must be the year for American women to rise up as American patriots, reject the fake Women's March, participate in something real. Make Feminexit real become part of the growing national America Can We Talk audience. On the launch of Evangelicals for Trump, Christian support of Trump started slow for Trump life story reasons. Christian support for Trump is now overwhelming for America reasons. Trump stands up for Christian values and policy issues, pro-life, pro conservative judges, pro-Israel. Trump is profoundly pro-American and knows instinctively America is good in the world and for the world. Christianity is a foremost influence, making America good. God didn't send the perfect man. He sent the man perfect for this job. And as to Buttigieg's disqualifying ignorance or deceit, Buttigieg's stated position, the Founding Fathers didn't understand that slavery is bad. Seriously. This is either colossal disqualifying ignorance of American history from a candidate for president or Monstrous, monstrously manipulative disqualifying deceit from a candidate for president as ted cruz pointed out the american founders were deeply aware of the evil of slavery they knew it would have to end at some point and they were right and their inspired words in the declaration made the reckoning inevitable pete Buttigieg isn't even remotely of the caliber of the founding fathers and he is not to be president of this country and that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Tune in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Whatever platform you're watching or listening on, please like the show, share it, subscribe, spread it around to your friends, tell your friends about it. This is a great opportunity to talk every day, Monday through Thursday, about the issues that will shape America's future. Thank you so much for listening. I love when you email me at Talk at gmail.com. And we're starting a new feature on our website next week. I'm going to publish some of the listener feedback, not with your names, but just, you know, Susie from Alabama, because I got extraordinarily tender and sweet and wonderful letters from men and women all over the world about this show. And I want to share them with you to really celebrate how the show is growing and your impact and you're sharing the show and you're writing to me is just extraordinarily, I'm very grateful for it. So thank you so much. So tune in every day to speak up for America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Like a crashing wave. Can you hear us now? America, can we talk? Truth
1: about America.